0: things first. For my phone, okay, when I upgraded it, the background that you and I set up. So how do I do that? Excuse me, Sean. I... Coming to you from the heart of Thomas Jefferson's Academical Village, this is Academical, the official podcast of the Virginia Policy Review. The Virginia Policy Review is an independent organization staffed by students at the Frank Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy at the University of Virginia with a mission to publish work that will impact the wider policy debate. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Academical.
1: Welcome in. My name is Sean Bilowski, and I am a second-year MPP student at Batten. I'm really excited about the start of another semester of Academical. We're in the process of putting together and planning a slate of interesting episodes that I hope you'll enjoy. Our first episode of the semester is being done in partnership with Black Student Leaders and Policy, or Slip at Batten. And our co-host from Slip is Tekka Linehan. Tekka is also a second-year MPP student and someone who I really enjoy talking with. He's involved with Slip, the Equity Collaborative, and is an Ed Policy Fellow at the Virginia Policy Partnership Club collaborative over at the School of Education. As an undergrad, TECA took part in the American Economic Association Summer Training Program, which is directed by our guest today, Dr. Lisa Cook. Dr. Cook is a professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State University, and she is a world-renowned economist. She's currently on the executive committee at the American Economic Association. Her research, which is hugely important, quantifies the negative impacts that racism and sexism have on our economy, and she's actively working to solve the problem in the field of economics of of underrepresentation of women, people of color, and particularly women of color. She served as a senior economist in the Obama administration's Council of Economic Advisors from August 2011 to August 2012. She just got done serving on the Biden-Harris transition team. She also served on the Obama-Biden transition team, as well as the Clinton-Gore transition team as a graduate student. So a person whose accomplishments are too many to list in this medium, but Tekka and I had a great time interviewing her. I think you'll really enjoy it. So let's get to it. Let's meet Tekka. Mm Well, Taka, this is our this is our first episode of the semester. It's our first episode of the spring semester, and I'm I was excited to do this with you. And this has been something, um, you know, a couple months in the making. I had a really uh, good time talking with Dr. Cook. We'll talk about that later. But first, just how was how was your
2: break? No, I appreciate the the honors of being the first one this semester. It's been good. It's been good. Uh, I'd imagine like the rest of the second years. Uh, it's mostly been on. Applied Policy Projects, though, you know, just squaring that away and uh, trying to get all that work done.
1: Well, you, you're involved with quite a bit at Batten um, with the Equity Collaborative. You're an Ed Policy Associate, um, but you also are, are involved with Black Student Leaders in Policy or b and, um, you know, Dr. Cook is coming on and kind of, and uh, we're doing this episode in partnership with you all. And I was wondering if you can kind of talk a little bit about uh, how you got involved with BSLIP and kind of the work that you
2: guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I've always really um, enjoyed doing work regarding uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm kind of sad to say my first year, I've kind of self-isolated really badly. And as I grew more comfortable, I started looking for more opportunities to like partner, especially with black organizations at UVA. I was literally the only black guy in our entire cohort and for the first year, actually all of the graduate program. So I felt very um, like that was a piece missing and BSLIP came and I decided to join this year. How was uh you mentioned the self-isolating
1: at first, but then trying to break out of that isolation virtually?
2: So it's it's been good and bad. I mean, now you can sit on as many Zoom calls as your brain can take. Um, but uh it's it's also kind of isolating in the sense that like we didn't know that once we left for spring break, like that was probably the last time we'd see many of our classmates. And so you know you feel isolated, but you you find new ways to like always try to be as rooted in the the ongoings of of what Batten's doing.
1: How about uh, this this coming semester? What what do you guys have have planned for B Slip, and what what should folks kind of be on the
2: lookout for? So we have a lot of things that we're starting to organize this past semester. uh, We've been focusing a lot on like administrative stuff. Uh, We just recently got accepted as a cio which has been really great sila the current president has been super amazing on that regard uh, we helped with the fall festival getting people out to vote but this semester we're we're definitely looking at doing a number of different events and but those are still in the the process.
1: Where do you think, and we can link to, um, we can link to kind of to, to things you guys have going on in, in our show notes, but where, where can people
2: find out more about it? So the the best place to do it is probably our social media accounts, um, especially on Instagram, which let me pull up what that is. We'll confirm it and we'll, we'll throw it in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Awesome. It's literally just B slip. That's B S I L I P U V A. And no, that's it. So, yeah, just real quick, yeah. There's we're super um like active on there. We're constantly posting stories, posts, and you know that's where you can find a lot.
1: Well, tech, I know you personally that you, are, as I mentioned, you were an ed policy associate or are an ed policy associate, and you personally are, are very interested in education policy, labor economics. Um, you know what what kind of drove those interests for you and how have how those interests kind of played out for
2: you at Batten? As far as diversity, equity, and inclusion goes, I would say education is one of the, the biggest issues. There's just so much of a disconnect and it has such long-term impacts. Like, for example, oftentimes when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI stuff, we're looking at it from a demand sort of perspective. It's kind of like, is the university um, accepting black students, people of color? Are they, are jobs doing the same? But there's also another dimension that kind of was more attractive to me. And that's the supply. Um, What are we doing to create a generation of black and brown students, K through 12, pre-K that have the skills and the are able to survive and thrive and succeed in these institutions. And I think that's a much tougher question to address at times. And it's the one that excites me the most. Well,
1: it's the one too, and you know, um, it's the one too that, that I think requires um, the most authentic work, right? I mean it truly requires deep thought about okay, how is this going to get achieved and how are we going to actually get,
2: you know, meaning meaningful results. Exactly. Exactly. And with B slip, that that the incorporation of that has also led to like a number of different questions that we're seeking to address. You know, it's not just merely a question of like how many black students, can we get into Baden? Boom, no questions asked. Once you're in, like, we just turn the other way. N- now we're, we're diving deeper, and we're really trying to, like, think of different avenues that we can support the students in Baton, uh, so that they can s- thrive in this environment. And, you know, just like future students, like, you know, we, every, willing to say, every, Every student of color has an experience that has just been either heartbreaking or just disenfranchising at Baden and really anywhere in higher education. And so just like trying to reduce those as much as we can, just so they can focus on like being a student, you know.
1: I, I think that's also a, a good Intro into the conversation that you and I had with uh, Dr. Lisa Cook and and Dr. Cook. She's a professor of economics and international relations at, at Michigan State University and just a world-renowned economist. And she she also is the head of a program that that you took part in, the American uh, Economic Association Summer Program, which is up at Michigan State. She's been the head of that for for about I guess like the last five years or, or something along those lines and. You know that's been a focus of hers is that economics. I think in the field of economics, it's kind of come out more in the open. I think a lot in in thanks to to Dr. Cook's work, she's written about this, just the underrepresentation of of people of color, of women of color in in particular, um, in the field of economics, and it's something that she's devoted. You know, um, obviously, she does you know a bunch of very important research, but then you know she also takes this mentorship part of the job very seriously. And it's, has, has done a lot, you know, it's done a lot, a lot of good work in the, in the field.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I know she'll talk about it in in the, um, in her section, but uh, one of the ways that that's came out is really just like the American economic association and economics in general had to like take a deep look at um, you know, what, what type of culture are they promoting? And so kind of in the same vein, UVA has started to do the same. Uh, I think back to the racial equity task force and the, um, while we haven't seen too, too many tangibles out of that, which for anybody listening right now, definitely means that we need to push. That is something that you need to challenge and to keep making the progress actually felt. But, you know, just if you get a chance to read that, that's tremendous work and it really outlines like what the next year looks like, what the next five years looks like. And that's actually my role as in BSLIP as an exec board member. Um, I'm the liaison for both the equity collaborative as well as, you know, the racial equity task force to a certain degree. And, um, you know, just working to, to make the, the challenges that it recognizes like challenges of the past, if that makes sense.
1: Well, with that, Tekka, again, thank you so much for setting this up. And, you know, without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Lisa Cook. So, Dr. Cook, I know. Um, I imagine the last few months have probably been a bit of a whirlwind for you, being on the uh, the Biden-Harris transition team. And I know this isn't the first time you've done this. You were on President Obama's transition team in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And so, just curious, after these last and on the
0: clinton uh, on on the Clinton-Gore transition team too in nineteen ninety
1: two. So, so I'm just curious. You know what what was this uh, what was this experience like for you, and, and how are you feeling after these last few months?
0: It was exhilarating. I think that you had a lot of promise with all three of those transitions, right? Um, The uh, Dems had been out for 12 years. Uh, Certainly, you know, there are a lot of policy proposals uh, that one had in mind or a long eight years if we're thinking about Obama coming in. There are a lot of proposals that one has the time and the space to come up with outside of power that you may not have when you're sitting running government, right? So I would say that I was exposed to those policies, those hopes, those dreams, those ideas each time. And this time I felt that it was urgent. We weren't in a pandemic plus a financial and economic crisis during the Obama transition and 1992. It was just a transition of power, right? I mean, there was, you know, there was a, this uh, this stark, stark difference, um, you know, in relative terms. I mean, certainly we thought there was a stark difference at the time, but you know, in hindsight, there's not the kind of stark difference that uh, that one might have uh, this time. So. I, I think that I felt a sense of urgency. I felt a sense of weight. One thing that I hadn't done before the previous two, so I was a grad student on the Clinton Gore transition team. And, you know, I, I didn't know how to add uh, policy implications to my papers. Like I'd barely written any papers. So, uh, so that was something that was quite new. But this time was very different from both of the previous times because I've been on Twitter putting forward a number of the proposals that we are seeing being rolled out now, right? So I, I had a view and I was uh, trying to influence in some way the policy conversation much before the campaigns sort of uh, caught my eye. So I... I am, uh, I am elated and reassured that some of these ideas have been picked up. This has got together a lot more speed to, uh, to, to make sure that the virus is addressed first and that it is tamed so that the economy can come back because they're the same thing. It's not one or the other. So I think it's the the sense of urgency, the sense of weight, the sense of mission that is slightly different in this situation. Now, with the last financial economic crisis, I did feel a sense of mission too. This is my research. Uh, So I wanted to lend as much to uh, mitigating both the, the factors that led to the crises as well as um, address the implications of those crises. And Michigan was ground zero for not only the beginning of it, right? I mean, uh, there are the mass layoffs that led to uh, folks not repaying their mortgages, which led to a number of these um, mortgage-backed securities uh, failing and funds failing. And then there was a vicious cycle, right? So, uh, and then the auto industry is also here. So uh, it was just a vicious cycle. So I saw it from the ground level. And I think that we should do everything we can to to mitigate the circumstances. And then if uh, a financial or economic crisis happens, we need to make sure that we minimize the deleterious effect, the negative effects on human beings, on families as much as we can.
2: So kind of on that note and relating it to the work Slip does. I know that like a large part of your research and your work generally has been on helping address issues for underrepresented uh, minorities and people of color, particularly black women. Um, and then as a graduate of the American Economic Association Summer Program can definitely speak to that. How do you feel like your efforts have been received in the field of economics? And how, if at all, has that reception uh, impacted the way that you work towards uh, greater equity?
0: That's a good question. I would say that the reception was, has been surprising and, and, and warm. I can't tell you how surprised, elated, heartened, overjoyed I was to be nominated and then elected to the executive committee of the AEA. So the the second uh, African-American to be elected and to serve. And I think that people see me as an honest broker, I, I'm not afraid to have a candid conversation. Definitely not. And, uh, okay, so, Tech <laughs> is laughing. Um, I, I'm not afraid to have a candid conversation and people understand, I'm not trying to, I'm an, I'm an open book in that sense. I've, I've written this op-ed, <laughs> everybody knows where I stand. I was shocked that there were few, as uh, you know, Uh, shocked that there were few black women applying for the AEA summer program. And then I was shocked to see that most of them uh, wound up in the foundations level and the entry level, uh, Sean, of the AEA summer program rather than in the advanced level. So I, I didn't get a sense that they were being paid attention to, like they were being ignored. So recruiting them actively at every level So as students, as uh, graduate students, and as uh, professors was uh, definitely a part of of my mission and the sky has not fallen. And the other thing that I I think I promote and I promote this honestly, anybody can be a mentor. Like anybody can be a not jerk. And that means that in, in my research, what I have concluded is that, and, and calculated, is that we have to make sure that there's a free flow of ideas and racism and sexism are barriers to the free flow of ideas. So I've measured this. So you know, standards of living would be a lot higher. GDP per capita would be a lot higher, precisely 0.6% to 4.4% per capita higher and we included more women and more African Americans in the innovation economy, especially at the beginning stages. So I think that's true everywhere. So this sexual harassment that we uncovered in the climate survey for the AEA, that's gotta go. You know, and, and you know, I didn't do my annual message to my colleagues to not date their students, but I will. You know because it's, it's it's outrageous that folks have to think about being preyed upon and parents will send their kids to school to be dated by their professors so so i'm i'm saying that this this creates a barrier and the same is true for for racial harassment it's not just sexual harassment it's racial harassment so i'm trying to make sure that those ideas get out there and If you heard my Planet Money podcast, that was the story of my paper, that people were thinking very narrowly about what data on African-Americans could tell the world. And here we have this this riot, this this insurrection that happens at the Capitol that follows the pattern articulated in my paper. But when I wrote an op-ed about it, in 2016, right after the election, I was called alarmist. Well, I wrote it before the election. I was called alarmist. So it wasn't published before the election. And then all of these things started happening that were predicted in my op-ed, and then it was published, right? So so I'm saying that the, the free flow of ideas, I, we can't think too narrowly about it. We shouldn't be involved in navel-gazing. This is not the time for navel-gazing and for, you know, uh, cute models that don't say anything, or cute papers that don't say anything. This democracy is in trouble. And we have tools to be able to speak to that. That's what we should be doing. And that's why I spent 10 years trying to get that paper published. I have the skills, I can answer this question. I should answer this question because nobody will, not because nobody will, I shouldn't enter, No, it's because nobody will. That's where the creativity is. That's where the original ideas are. And if I can measure it, if I can do a good job of speaking to this whole of the literature, then I should do it. And this is what I encourage junior people to do. You've got to wake up every morning and be motivated by the work you do. So it's not just on on Russia or on on African-Americans that I'm interested in, I'm interested in fundamental economic growth. This is what gets me up every day and how can we look at it from different angles and how can we raise people's standard of living? People depend on us. They look to us for all these ideas and sometimes we're just not giving them back. So I would say that this is the nexus of my research and my my practice within the economics profession?
1: Kind of. Um talking about where those ideas come from and, you know, at the very highest levels of economics and academia, you know, where, where you are. And, you know, we kind of often think of, of racial and gender disparities um, and even white supremacy kind of as an issue that comes from the lower class and really ignore sometimes what they, what they look like in more white collar and more, more prestigious spaces. And um, I kind of think of the the, um, the college, um, the admission scandal where we all were just kind of gawking at Aunt Becky from Full House going to jail, but didn't really reckon with, you know, the, the message that that was sending and the challenge that, um, you know, kind of it posed to the myth of meritocracy um, at these elite institutions. And I'm just curious, you know, in, in these high power spaces where, where you sit and, you know, what's the difference in attitudes regarding race, gender, and class in those spaces? And, and how do you think those have shifted over time?
0: I think, let's, let's just talk about class. I don't think many people in our profession who are well-meaning have contemplated fully the implications of class, of uh, first-generation students, for example, of first-generation colleagues I, I think that that's a real blind spot for for us. And I think that that kind of elitism is, um, you know, uh, is, is uh, being addressed on Twitter. I, I would say called out, but I, I would hope that the conversations aren't just folks calling uh, that out, but pointing it out, I think is absolutely necessary. I was struck when in many conversations about the things that we needed to provide to our students or to colleagues who were coming to speak to our students like honoraria. What we discovered from the the climate survey was that African-Americans, especially African-American women were being discriminated against more than any other group using any metric especially with respect to promotion and pay and we're gonna underpay them? You know, we're gonna, that's ridiculous. So I think that there was a blatant, and still is a blatant misunderstanding about who our colleagues are and who our students are. And the, the race variable just undermines and masks so much there's, there's also got to be a reckoning there. Uh, we have a number of studies that show that, that uh, people in general in America, for example, underestimate the wealth and income of African-Americans. They think that they were much richer than we are. And I think that that's something that our colleagues have to internalize because otherwise this race variable just hangs out there like Black people are defective in some way. So let's throw this variable in so it'll um, capture all those uh, all those things. If
2: I see it's, one more dummy variable.
0: I'm I, know, done. I know, I know, I know. That goes uninterpreted. It goes uninterpreted. That's the problem. So so we have to 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 talk about agency. There is agency in that variable. Somebody has acted such that this variable conveys these negative signs. And the same is true for women. You know, people just plug a a variable for female in there, they see it's negative, oh, look at that. But they don't ask about other things, some some do. But we are seeing this, that's why I'm talking about navel-gazing. We can't just let this go anymore. So we see women dropping out of the labor force at large numbers. And I don't think we're thinking about the implications of that. The implications, some of the implications being, you know, less saving for retirement. Um, And therefore, you know, uh, there may be more people who uh, wind up needing the state more if we're making that argument later on. You know, women typically outlive men. So I think that we're not thinking through all of the implications of these these variables that we just insert, like automatons and these regressions and in our analysis. And it's time for some deep thinking about these and uh, figuring out how to how to fix them. Uh, there's a, an editor at Science who commented on uh, on Twitter that the Sociologists and others in social science who submit papers to uh, science—you know, typically the top, the cream of the crop in these fields—submitting papers to to science. And he noticed that everybody else in social science would try to identify a phenomenon, namely discrimination, and then figure out how to address it. Economists were just trying to ask if it existed and then go on about their business. And that's, that's, that's ludicrous. That is really just hitting the tip of the iceberg. And I, I, again, I think this is a, an urgent time when we have to stop navel-gazing. This, this, this is detrimental to the field. It's detrimental to public policy because people look to us whether we like it or not. They look to us to inform public policy more than they look to other social scientists, so something different has 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 got to change, and that has to be along the dimensions of class, race, and and gender among other uh, factors. Yeah,
2: yeah, I 100% agree. Um, personally, I've always seen like the the class dimension, like you said, just at play. It's. Um, it, it, At times it almost feels like an ignorance on like how to actually approach these issues. And sometimes it's just like blatant elitism. But I really wanted to jump back to something you said a little bit earlier about mentorship. And I always thought that it was really cool that like, not only were you really cool in your own right but you also like had amazing people that you had mentored. I'm thinking like Anna Giftke. Gifty at the um, Sadie Collective. And I was, I really wanted to ask, like, what do you look for in a mentee? Is there just like a, a factor or skill set that just makes you like, that's the person I'm batting for?
0: That, that, that's, that's not hard because I will call up anybody. Like I, some, some people I called up before they came to the AEA summer program, or actually even when they applied and they turned us down, and I called them up and I said, "What are you doing? What really? What are you? What else are you doing? What else do you have going on? Do you understand what kind? Of, we are paying you to come here. What? What else do you have happening? So that's so. So it, I I don't think that there is there's no criterion. There's like there's there's a signal like person needs help. Person needs to understand. What is going on here? This could set you on a different trajectory, right? So, so that, that's, that's, that's one kind of person. Anna approached me. She, she, was, she was just like, I was giving a talk and she was just like, after the talk, she was like, can I take a picture will you be my mentor? I was like, you know, click. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can, I can say no to this if I'd like, but I'd be caught on camera. And on video saying no to a young person. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think that democratizing the AAA summer program by opening it up on Twitter and Facebook and on social media, just making sure that everybody knows about it rather than you know a closed set of, of, of people. You know, that's another type of elitism. Why do we want to replicate that? That's crazy. So, so I think that if we have people who are, you know, if, if I sense that you need a mentor, I'm going to step in. If you ask me to do the same, I'm going to step in. And then, you know, it's everybody else. I, 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 I don't have, I, I, I haven't thought about that. Um, but I think a, a good mentee will recognize that, I can be a good mentor for for certain things and that i can't be a mentor for everything and this is how i seek out mentors too i have mentors for organizing my work i have mentors for uh interesting travel places i have mentors for progressing through the economics profession but i think that that I, I want people to be realistic about what they're going to uh, get from me. You know good and well, I hate email, you know. Right? Yeah. You, know you know that, you, you know that. That's not, that's not some place you're gonna find a mentor. Uh, you know, during some other means of communication, I am more easily available, right? And I, I will make myself available but I absolutely hate, hate email. But I, I think that that's what I look for in a mentee, sort of a, a person who is um, mature enough to understand that I can't be a mentor for everything. And I can't manage that person's uh, life outside of what I know. And I'm very, very clear about what my, what my lane is. And I, you know, I'm, I'm always praying that somebody doesn't come back and snap off my head when I call them and ask them, what else are you doing that you can't show up at this program? Do I need to call your mama? Do I need to call your daddy? What do I need to do? So, so, so I, I'm just saying that I, opening up the program has shown us who's eager to learn and who's eager to use these tools to gain these tools and to use these tools. And I think you know that, that probably uh, provides a pool of potential uh, mentees in and of itself.
1: So we, this is what we ask all of our guests, Dr. Cook, is um, being a School of Leadership and Public Policy, um, what's a leadership lesson you've learned that you wish someone would have told you as an undergraduate or graduate student?
0: The amount of humility and curiosity you need is always going to be underestimated. And you can be curious about anything and anybody. It drives me bananas that some people think that other people are not interesting. I mean, this is what people said about my work, that that there's something uninteresting about African-Americans so it can't tell us anything. What uh, happens to them can't tell us anything about other populations. And with respect to humility, never wanted to be the smartest person in the room, never. What to learn from the smartest people, but never tried to be the smartest person in the room. But I have always said that I can make a contribution and everybody can. And everybody's interesting, got an interesting story. And every group has an interesting story that needs to be told. So I think that's probably the, the lesson that I've learned.
1: That'll do it for our first episode of the semester. Thank you so much to Dr. Lisa Cook for taking the time. Thank you so much to Teca Linehan and B Slip for putting this together. And thank you to Ben Feldman and Ben Teese for helping out with production. We will be back with another episode next week. Stay safe.